This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 158 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we continue our look at Grania Whale, Ireland's pirate queen. This is our second episode looking at her. This is the tales of being powerful by land and sea. But first, a big welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. If this is your first episode, why don't you at least listen to the first episode of Grania Whale two episodes ago on episode 156 and if you like that head right back to the beginning over 157 episodes ago to see what we've been building up to fireside over the last three years and if you are a returning listener as always thank you so much for your continued support if you have not done so already please do follow me over on instagram at firesidebard if you're not on social media email me at the firesidebard at gmail.com those are the best places to Raise any questions, queries, even complaints, or even if you just want to say hello. I love hearing from each and every one of you. Those are the best places to get me. Uh, If you really want to support the podcast, you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com where you can join Headstuff Plus, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you so choose, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there are new ones of them each and every month. Uh, So thank you to those who have and continue to support over on Headstuff Plus. And please do order my poetry book, Garden Sea. Uh, all links are in the description below. Thank you so much to all of you who have, uh, who continue to be buying Garden Sea each and every week. It's a great joy to be sending it off all around the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. The story for this week, I'm still reporting to you from Dubai, from my uh, home in Discovery Gardens in the desert of Dubai. I'm still working over here uh, at the Irish Village as part of the World Expo and very much settled into the gig and having a great time over here, working hard and continuing to keep the fireside burning um, and continuing to work on my other projects as well. It's uh, It's been a great experience, but the story for this week, uh, a lovely thing has happened. So we had our first tale about Grania Whale two weeks ago. And when I started adapting stories of Grace O'Malley, Ireland's Pirate Queen, I am mainly adapting it from 
an incredible biography of her by Anne Chambers, uh, which is kind of the go-to Grania Whale biography by any research that I've I've found. And it's an incredible read. The link is in the description below if you want further reading. And as I frequently say, I am not a historian. I am a storyteller. And it is always a little bit trickier when you're adapting a historical figure. But Grania Whale is a very specific case because she is someone that because of the status that she held as a woman in her time and because this is Ireland we are talking about uh, she was all but written out of the annals of Irish history so it is only because of folklore and legend that the name of Grania Whale has survived at all and only because of folklore and word of mouth and tradition being passed down over the subsequent four or five hundred years have over the time his contemporary historians been able to sift through the folklore and find the truth and the history there and so she actually is a, an ideal candidate for ad- adaptation on fireside uh, but it's get only getting deeper the more i research and i wasn't sure if it was going to be only a few episodes but the more i read the more i want to do of her and especially with this new plan now to alternate between the weeks uh, covering Grania Whale with focusing on folk tales of the sea. I think this could make it a really nice season of Fireside. We had the story of the Sea Maiden last week, Scottish folk tale. Uh, so this week's episode is specifically about as Grania. She has, by this point, she is the sole daughter and heir of uh, Dovdara O'Malley. Um, He had no sons, no legitimate sons. He raised his daughter with a great love of the sea, a life that she was never destined to follow herself. Uh, She was married off to Donal Onkoga, O'Flaherty, Donal of the battles. Donal has been killed, and Grania Whale is now about to return to her father's lands and take her throne as Ireland's Pirate Queen. We will chat more afterwards, but this is Grania Whale, powerful by land and sea on Fireside. Grania Whale, powerful by land and sea. Before she had even turned 30, Grace O'Malley, known to the Irish as Grania Whale, had been widowed. Her husband, Donal O'Flaherty, known as Donal on Koga, or Donal of the Battles, was killed, well, in battle. Already having proved herself a pioneering leader and fearsome warrior, Grania Whale avenged her husband's death by defeating the rival Joyce family and seizing the disputed castle he had died defending, which was subsequently named the Hen's Castle a name it is still known as today. Under the Brehan laws of Gaelic Ireland, in the event of her husband's death, Grace was entitled to the return of the hefty dowry that has been provided to Donal when they had been married. Furthermore, a third of her dead husband's property was also owed to her. But Donal's wars had been costly, and there was neither dowry nor widow's thirds ever paid to Grace. So Grania Whale returned to her father's lands of Clue Bay, County Mayo. As the sole legitimate child of her father, 
and the sole heir to her mother Margaret's lands. When Dove Dara O'Malley died, Grace became head of the O'Malley clan. She chose as her base of operations Clare Island. This gave Grace a strategic view of all of Clue Bay. Clare Island was also nestled and hidden, making it indiscernible to passing ships. Little could move in or out of Clue Bay without being seen by Clare Island Castle. And Grace was not alone. Two hundred loyal soldiers from her days married to Donal of the Battles had followed her home to Clue Bay. Burks, O'Flaherty's, McCormack's, Clandonald's, Conroy's and McNally's all left their respective families, foregoing the respect and protection they were duty-bound to maintain. Nevertheless, they all followed Gráinne Whale. Grace would say that she would rather have a ship full of Conroy's and McNally's than a ship full of gold. She further bolstered her ranks with the legendary Gallo Glass, seasonal mercenaries from Scotland frequently hired by noble Irish families. With her strategic maritime stronghold, her taste and skills as a sailor, her aptitude as a leader, and the devotion of her followers, Grace O'Malley took to the craft that would define her legend, piracy, and her fearsome reputation grew almost immediately. While Grace was taking a pilgrimage to the Holy Well on Clare Island on St. Bridget's Day, she received word that a vessel had been shipwrecked on the head of the nearby Ackle Island. Rather than observe the Holy Day, the call to action, the sea, and to potential plunder was too much for her, and Grace braved considerable storms to sail out and salvage the wreck. In the flotsam of the jagged coast of Ackle, at least one soul was found to be still alive. He was the son of a wealthy Wexford merchant, a young lad named Hugh de Lacey. Hugh became Grace's lover, but their infatuation was not to last. Hugh was killed by members of the McMahon family of Doona Castle, a lonely rock of County Mayo. A heartbroken Gráinne Whale immediately began plotting her revenge. While the McMahons were observing their own pilgrimage on the nearby island of Cahar, Grace O'Malley looked on from Clare Island. When the pilgrims had all disembarked, Grace's forces swooped down and seized the ships, isolating the men on the island. Gráinne Whale and her men swiftly slaughtered all of the McMahons on Cahar, leaving the island quiet once more, but maybe not so holy. Even then, Grace's hunger for revenge was not satisfied. She moved on to Doona Castle, seat of the McMahons. She killed all inside and seized Doona for herself. Gronuel's notoriety of vengeance was not isolated to the death of her lover. Soon she was a very rich woman indeed, and at one stage, by her own account, she held over 1,000 cattle, something that the Brehan Laws and any reading of the cattle raid of Cooley will tell us was the true sign of wealth in Gaelic Ireland. A neighbouring chieftain attempted to steal some of the O'Malley property. 
He was caught before he could make off with his own plunder, but he had been spotted and could be identified. The chieftain feared the vengeance of Granuel, and so he fled to a tiny island that was occupied by a single holy hermit. The hermit had taken a vow of silence, but took the chieftain into the sanctuary of his chapel. The chieftain was right to fear reprisal, as Granuel found the island and her men surrounded the chapel. She called inside that she would starve out the chieftain, but the kind hermit felt pity for the thieving chieftain and helped him burrow his way out of the chapel and out to sea. The hermit then broke his vow of silence to march out of the front door of the chapel to chastise Granuel for breaking the sanctity of sanctuary. Granuel clearly had respect for the church, but not more so than her own integrity and honor. But possibly the greatest story in the cultivation of the legend of Granuel concerns the tale of Hoth Castle. Hoth was the main port of the east coast of Dublin. It was presided over by the Earl of Hoth, Thomas St. Lawrence. While returning to Clare Island, Grace and her ships dropped anchor in Hoth Bay. Under the laws of hospitality that date back to every culture in the world, a noble woman and fearsome pirate should have been welcomed with open arms into Hoth Castle. The gates, however, were locked. Grace was informed by the gatekeepers that St. Lawrence and his family were already eating and under no circumstances would the gates be opened again until they were finished. Grace was outraged by this lack of hospitality and stormed off back to her ship. On the beach of Hoth Bay, Grace encountered one she recognized as St. Lawrence's grandson. Grace had her men kidnap the boy. They hauled anchor and returned to Clue Bay. Once he realized his grandson was missing, St. Lawrence frantically sailed for Mayo. He brought with him enough gold and silver to sink the ship, willing to pay any amount to the dreaded pirate for his grandson's safe return. Gronuel, however, refused any such payment. Instead, Grace demanded that the Earl of Hoth revise his levels of hospitality. Never again was the gate of Hoth Castle to be locked, and at every meal, morning, noon, and night, on every day of the year, an extra place was to be set at the table, should the day ever come when Gronuel would return. St. Lawrence was overwhelmed by the leniency of these demands. He promised his family would always honor them, St. Lawrence took his grandson and safely returned to Hoth. The story of Gronuel and Hoth Castle has been disputed by historians of the time, who claimed that it was actually Richard Burke, the MacWilliam chieftain of Mayo, who kidnapped St. Lawrence's grandson. However, given the amount of records of Grace O'Malley in the annals of England, and the near total omission from the annals of Irish history, it is the Richard Burke claim that should be viewed with scepticism. 
It is undeniable that there had been a bias against Grace O'Malley for not having fulfilled the traditional role of a woman in her time. But thanks to traditions and folklore and word of mouth, Gronuel's stories have been kept alive. And if you want proof of this, many street signs of the village of Hoth still to this day bear the name not of Richard Burke, but of Grace O'Malley. And Hoth Castle is still in the name of the St. Lawrence family. And the gate is still open, and a place is still set at the table. Gronia Whale had, in the short years following the death of the major men in her life, her beloved father and warring husband, proved herself more than capable of fulfilling a man's role at the seat of a throne and at the helm of a ship. She had well established her own wealth and notoriety as Ireland's pirate queen. But a threat was coming, a threat from across the narrow Irish Sea, a foe that Grace little thought of, until that foe threatened to take away her very way of life, and the way of life of Gaelic Ireland. Another woman who had also proven every custom and tradition of her society wrong to become one of the most feared leaders the Western world had yet known. Queen Elizabeth I of England. To be... Continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan. As we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written. Or ghostwritten. If you ever read about the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, Elizabeth and Jessica, with their eyes the colour of the Pacific Ocean, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. But of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnappings, stolen boyfriends and seemingly mandatory school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And that is part two of our Legend of Grania Whale, powerful by land and sea. And I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, there's no messing around here. Because every, every legend and account and historical record of Grania Whale talks about her 40 years ruling the sea. And given that she was born around 1530 and reportedly died around 1603, making her between 72 and 73 years old, if she was, and presumably wasn't, warring in the final few years nor in the first few years of her life, you have to establish that, she was, that Grace O'Malley was incredibly young 
when she began to rule the seas. So at this period, leading up to Donal Onkoga, her first husband's death, she had already clearly established herself well because of these 200 soldiers that followed her home. For going like this was a time where you had no rights and no protection if you went outside of your own your own clan, out of your own little jurisdiction. That was the only way you had any protection. I know this from having a bit of study of the Breton laws um, through an incredible book that I may talk about on this podcast at some point, um, especially since how relevant the Breton laws have become in the last few episodes. They're really, really interesting as well, and they're always good to kind of have in mind when you're talking about especially the mythology of Ireland because so much of where all of these stories come from and why they operate under the rules that they do are because of are naturally because of the rules and laws that was in place at the time. Case in point, I mentioned here about Gronuel having over a thousand cattle and everything, all of law, all of uh, currency, everything revolved around livestock and cattle. Like if you broke Brehan laws, if you wronged people, if you stole someone's wife or stole someone's property, you had to pay them back in the form of cattle. This is how important cattle was, which is why Ireland's great epic, why its Battle of Troy, is about a cattle raid. It's no coincidence at all. So all of that revolves around the Brehan laws. But here, yes, it can't be understated how much these 200 men who followed Grace O'Malley back to Clue Bay were giving up. They were foregoing all rights because the only ones who had any rights to leave their homes and still be protected in neighboring keeps and neighboring kingdoms were judges and poets. That's how I know it so well, is that uh, only judges and poets could be protected wherever they went because they had to travel. Like Brehan Laws comes from Brehev, which is judge, so they had, they had the important role uh, and naturally, bards and storytellers and poets had to travel around so that they could be the oral history of the entire nation and of these kingdoms. So these 200 men deciding to go for a life of piracy, they were giving up a huge amount. They were giving up everything to follow Grony Whale back to Clouvet. So that just will tell you clearly how incredible and how charismatic a leader she was even by the time before her first husband had died before the age of 30 before Grace herself was even 30. Now, of course, they were going back to fought to live with a noble family. Her name was, the O'Malley name was very highly valued, but she was going to inherit it, something that had never been done as, as a woman. So they were not only foregoing all, like even if Grace had been a man and these 200 men had followed her to Clue Bay, that would have been unorthodox and that would have been a gamble and a risk. But for her to be a woman as well is both a testament to her and a testament to these 200 soldiers that fought so lo loyally with her. And that is a, a recorded quote of her that she would rather have a ship full of Conroys and McNallys than a ship full of gold. And by all accounts, uh, she naturally, as a true sailor and a true pirate, she enjoyed the company of these men as well. And she was known for her gambling. She was known to love gambling aboard the ship. Uh, her 
other extracurricular exploits are interesting. Like she was, she was also rumored to be known for her for her sexual exploits as well, as we have in the first story of this tale uh, about her lover, the young Hugh DeLacy, who the, she then takes vengeance of. The sexual exploits are romantic exploits, shall we say, um, are they're a little trickier to look at because naturally as a woman of her time sexual promiscuity was something that was used to tarnish the name of women so it's less clear if her reputation uh, as a as a philanderer in that sense was used by critics of the time to erase her from history and to diminish her role and diminish her legend or if it is just genuinely part of her story. It's hard to know. I mean, we can view it with a contemporary lens where we can say say that as another great thing, another interesting characteristic to her, but it needs to be kept in mind as well. Again, I don't want to get bogged down in the history of it, but like this is what I am analyzing this as a legend and as a folktale. It is to be paid a little bit more respect to, and I can't have quite as much... Uh, not freedom, but not as much uh, liberty here in what I just add and make up. But as I've said, I'm more interested in this legend and crafting in each of these episodes a legend for the, the sake of the respective episodes. So this one was naturally about her building her reputation, which I focused on these three specific tales of the vengeance for the death of Hugh de Lacey, um, for finding the hermit, uh, the the chieftain who stole property from her or attempted to steal property from her, and then this incredible story of Hoth Castle, which yes is uh, that's been probably the most the most interesting for two reasons. It's just a great story in its own right. Anyway, like that could have been a tale of the sea in itself, of a classic tale of hospitality not being respected and not being upheld. But it actually did happen. And then we've got this historical, was it Richard Burke, the MacWilliam, who was the family of, uh, who would end up being Grace's second husband. I think his name was also Richard Burke. Um, was it him? Because at the time, the contemporary historians of her time said that it was Richard Burke and there was accounts of that. But all of the annals of Irish his of uh, English history have far more about her, have more about Grace, and nothing at all in Irish history. So it's so conspicuous. That's it's it's the Sherlockian deduction that you can only assume that because there is nothing in Irish history about her, but so much of word of mouth and tradition, which is why there are still street signs and why that is still upheld in Hoth Castle. How cool is that? I didn't know that the St. Lawrence family still owns Hoth Castle which uh, for any listeners outside of Ireland who may not have been there, Hoth is about it's about 15 kilometers outside of Dublin city centre, right on the coast. It's absolutely beautiful place to go if you're a beautiful cliff walk and you can jump off into the sea there. Uh, it's the very famous site where James Joyce took his future wife, uh, Nora Barnacle, and uh, where they had... Uh, a romantic interlude in a rhododendron bush up in the in Hoth and has the opening line 
of Finnegan's Wake as well is River Run, past even Adams from Swerve of Shore to Bend of Bay, brings us by commodious vicus of recirculation back to Hoth Castle and Environs, which is supposed to be the root of the River Liffey uh, all around the city of Dublin, beginning and ending in the sea. And after that little trajectory, that little sideline into a line from Finnegan's Wake, I will wrap things up. But that is, yeah, so those are three tales of the growth of the legend of Ireland's pirate queen. But as I said, there's so many new alleyways to go now. We can, we, we can have an episode on Gronje's place in the rebellions of the time. Um, we it's, There's very interesting tales about her second husband and her son via that uh, second husband, Tibbendit Long, who is... Uh, He's her most interesting offspring, I think, and will go up to end up being a threat to his own mother. And then, of course, we will also have an entire episode, uh, definitely an entire episode, dedicated to the meeting between Grainne Whale and Elizabeth I of England, the tete-a-tete of tete-a-tetes. And I can't wait to it. So there's loads, there's loads still to do. Uh, but... All great stuff, and I hope you're all enjoying it. So please do, as always, let me know. Follow me on Instagram at first. I borrowed. Send me a message. Let me know how you're getting on, if you're enjoying it, what you like. And we're going to be still alternating each week. So next week, we will have another folktale of the sea. I found a new great source of uh, folktales from different parts of the world, all centered around maritime and river and sea lore. So I hopefully will have plenty to to excavate from that but yes uh follow me on instagram yes uh, support the podcast if you can over at headstuffpodcast.com links are all in the description below order garden sea order my poetry book my neo-myth of home either on kindle or on paperback we deliver all around the world get your orders in now i'll see you all you'll hear me all next time and remember wherever you are and wherever you go you can always join me by the fireside This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.